Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strategycast. I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest tonight, James Cooper, formerly of Sky Sports. You'd all remember his voice. James, how are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. I think it's a good week to have got me, bearing in mind what happened on Monday night at Old Trafford. I guess everyone on the red side of Manchester, which is where I live, of course, have, have just been in disbelief about what they saw. Well, it's amazing because we're probably planning this about a month and a half now. And if we had done it any other week, I think the mood going into this, from my perspective, anyway, would have been quite dour. Um, the performance on, on Monday night, I want to touch on that because there was, a, there was a reaction. And I spoke on the last podcast about speaking about calling for a reaction, but pretty much throughout all last season, there was no reaction. What do you think spiced that kind of reaction against Liverpool on Monday night? Because it was really unforeseen, the performance. Yeah, I think it's the key question. Uh, and, and and the answer, I think, sadly, from a kind of Manchester United perspective in terms of the psychology of the situation, it seemed to me that this was a, a bunch of players who were making a statement because two key players were on the bench in Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Maguire. I don't think there was any coincidence that we saw a level of performance, of character, of commitment, of teamwork, of togetherness. You, you look at the goals, you know, blimey. They knew where the cameras were. They knew they were going to celebrate together as a, a squad of players. You know, if, if the guys on the bench could have got and jumped on and taken their shirts off and piled into the celebrations, I think they would have done the same as well. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting is that Liverpool, Liverpool were there to be taken, but equally Manchester United needed a win and Eric Ten Hag needed a win. It's just interesting the motivations behind that win. He'll be delighted he's got three points. I think he played a really clever game in realising what motivates this squad. I think what will be now really interesting between now and the, the close of the transfer deadline is whether we see any movement with those kind of two key players, which I think was the catalyst to this performance. Well, the biggest question for, for the manager going into this season was we had two managers last season that couldn't motivate this group. 
this group totally trying to towel in. And it was interesting to get that spark. But as you mentioned, the question is, can he do this consistently? You mentioned two players there, Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Maguire. And there's been a lot of speculation in the past year that these two players don't see eye to eye. I think I think it's a lot of people at Manchester United don't see eye to eye with Ronaldo at the moment. But, but on this, it was interesting that you pointed out those two players. There's another player there as well, Luke Shaw, who can get a start. And he was all kind of commonly at mistake last season too. So I think Ten Hag took out pretty much the spine of the team apart from De Gea and you got that reaction but it was um I guess it could have been you could consider a kind of a protest kind of performance um if you will but on that Ronaldo scored 24 goals last season the ultimate question the fans have now is are we better without him yeah again this is a great question I, th- I think those 24 goals speak for themselves um you know, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I'm a fan of what the club is and what it means to people in football and what it means to Manchester United fans. I'm a complete fan of that because I think you've got a club that has never had so many highs and, and so many lows. There's nothing in yeah. the middle with Manchester United. And I think uh, Cristiano Ronaldo typifies that. I, I would prefer him playing for Manchester United because I still think he's world-class in his position. I was chatting to my wife the other night who was asking me a similar sort of question. You're not going to get many better strikers. Now, you'll get better strikers who perhaps allow you to play in a certain way the way that Ten Hag perhaps wants to play. Um, the problem is keeping Cristiano Ronaldo happy if he's not playing. You know, that's the difficult thing about this. I would rather see a happy Ronaldo playing for Manchester United, scoring goals, because I think he's a wonderful, wonderful player. Uh, Eric Ten Hag might think very differently because clearly he wants a, a team that's dynamic, that's hungry, that presses, that shows hunger. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo won't give you that. Uh, my thinking would be you can find 10 players to do a job and allow him to do the thing that he does. A little bit like Aguero was with with Manchester City. Pep had a problem with the way Aguero played, but you've got one of the best strikers that ever played in the the Premier League. And I think Pep realised that very quickly. I think you can still accommodate Cristiano Ronaldo. Blind, we were talking about accommodating one of the best players in the world. I think you can still do that and have the hunger elsewhere. It's interesting because the game before the win over Liverpool against Brentford, some stats mapped up that Rashford had run less than, than Ronaldo. Um, and the stats, the, how little United ran in that game. And my thinking behind that was I was quite shocked because when you've got someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, I would expect the younger players to maybe put that extra mile in because it's the pleasure it is to play with someone like that. And you have to maybe put that extra mile in so he can do his job. But that is not happening at Manchester United. That That is it's the complete opposite. There's no respect there. There's no one putting that extra mile for Ronaldo when they're all looking at each other with fingers and don't know who to blame. You know, that that's what I've seen all last season. But the difference, and you kind of touched on it with the Liverpool game, was there was a sense of togetherness. There was a sense of the fans as well were united in protest. Yeah, I mean, protest was the theme. I think the protest was the theme on on the pitch as much as it was off it, although for very different reasons. I think one of the key questions to be asked from the business that United have done, I think Casemiro is a a good player, albeit perhaps they should have signed him a long time ago, but you've got a Real Madrid old boys network. So you've got Varane at the back, you've got Casemiro in the middle. It it kind of begs the question, if if they've arrived, is that because Ronaldo's leaving? I I don't think it is. I mean, I, I may be proved wrong on that, but it looks to me as though their signings that Cristiano Ronaldo would have approved of and therefore the future looks to me to be this season with him. I mean, I know a lot can change in, in a window, but you're also looking at teams around Europe who can A, afford his wages and, uh, and B, afford potentially the problem of having him in the camp. Do you think it kind of splashed back on their face this summer? Because Jorge Mendes 
Um, obviously, Ronaldo gave him the the approval to do this, but went quite public with his demands to leave Manchester United. And what we've seen since then is a lack of offers. They're not a lack of offers, but a lack of interest because, as you touched on, there's not many clubs out there that can facilitate this deal for a 37-year-old striker. Um, do you think there's kind of egg on their face right now because it looks likely that he's staying at Manchester United not because he wants to, but because there's just not an offer for him to go elsewhere? I think it's a really interesting situation. And if he stays at Manchester United, he's got to play some very, very kind of interesting cards in terms of the way he comes back with the fans. I mean, look, you know, Manchester United fans will always love Cristiano Ronaldo simply because he chose them first or they, he was chosen by um, Sir Alex Ferguson and they went through a process from being a player that dived a lot and had all the histrionics to becoming a, you know, a proper legend of the game at Manchester United and, the, the you know, the first and only person that Sir Alex Ferguson had as a World Player of the Year. You know, so all these things are in, in the kind of plus point uh, and in a huge tick column. I think... You know, if if the transfer window comes past and it closes and he's still at Manchester United, he's probably got, got to eat some humble pie. And I, and I think it'll be interesting to see what he does kind of from a media point of view, because I think he's probably going to start sort of blowing a huge trumpet that says, I love Manchester United and never wanted to go in the first place. That, that's what I'd expect. And I think that if I was advising him, him, I think that's what I'd do as well. Because, you know, what, what frustrated me last season is that a huge majority of Manchester United fans seem to be turning up to Old Trafford just to see him score and do the celebration. It was like pantomime. <laughs> Grown men shout and see. We it won't was incredible. I remember the, the Norwich game, and I, a friend of mine was very kind to take me in, and, and I just couldn't believe how things had changed from being this sort of bear pit where the, the hunger for, for a victory was everything that motivated Manchester United fans. And no, the, the football was so bad, you're waiting for the, a guy to do his shoe, uh, and yeah, then everything's yeah. all right. No, it's, it's like not. Disney. It's like going to see a roller coaster at Disneyland. Um, yeah, it's completely that. It's, it's a pantomime, yeah. Just moving the topic on slightly from Ronaldo to Harry Maguire, what do you make, as, as someone who, who works in the media, what do you make of the, the criticism that he receives? Because I'm all for someone having constructive criticism and saying that there's faults to his game. But I think there's, there's, there's sections of the media that have jumped on Harry Maguire and made him more into a scapegoat in quite a vicious sense too. Yeah, I, I think there is a line that's been crossed uh, and, I, and I'm not really sure of the, the reasons for doing that, but some of the stuff has been quite kind of personal. I don't think that, you know, it's almost translating from social media and the stuff you see on Twitter in, into the kind of column inches of, of the newspapers and television and radio. And I don't think that's really fair. I think the other thing that perhaps isn't fair is that Manchester United made him captain. I think there's some really interesting questions to be asked about what their motivations were for that. I think he's, you know, a, a pretty good central defender. Is he a, the best central defender in the country? I don't think he is. Is he worthy of captaining Manchester United? Again, I, I don't think he's a worthy Manchester United captain, but I think we're also looking at a bunch of players where leadership isn't a huge credential either. I don't think there are many candidates to be a proper captain of Manchester United. So all those things considered, I think a lot of the criticism has been unfair simply because uh, I think he, he came, much like perhaps Ronaldo, expecting a club and then the reality of that club is very different. You know, things are pretty messy at Manchester United. I know they beat Liverpool. I know things seems a little bit happier in the garden. But the problem is that might be a little bit of a, of a plaster over all the cracks. You know, there are still key issues here. And the problem being that, yeah, you can beat Liverpool, but you looked awful against Brentford and, and Brighton. I, I think he's very unfortunate too, because when he came to Manchester United under Ali, it was quite clear that he, we were going to play counter-attack in football, which was very, very suited to the defender like Harry Maguire. Then last season, tried to kind of jazz it up a bit, but playing out from the back a bit more. And now we're seeing a high line. And now it, he's just not that defender that I think he could go back. 
and spend that 80 million on, it would be someone a lot different because we, we've transitioned. We're trying to play a kind of a more modern game than what we did then. So it's interesting. And it, this comes down to, to the recruitment policy, the recruitment team. And the way that they've done things down the years, it's all scattergun. It's no pl- not planned. From, from, from what you've seen down the years and covering different clubs as well as Manchester United, where would you rank us in, in terms of being efficient, in terms of being organised as a club being run in, in, the, in the top top five clubs, we'll say? Yeah, I, th- I think what's really interesting, I had this conversation with somebody uh, who used to work at Manchester City uh, about this today, you know, uh, and what used to kind of frustrate me a little bit in terms of Manchester City, and I'm talking about over the last 20 years, I'm not talking about, you know, um, since 2008, um, they always defined themselves by Manchester United, and, and I could never understand why they didn't have their own identity. So they would always compare themselves to what Manchester United were doing. And it seemed a, a ridiculous thing to do when the, when the bar was so high. You know, you, you flip that now to 2022, and now you've got Manchester United fans doing the same with Manchester City, defining themselves mm. by what they're doing over the road. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, you, you're right with, you know, the lack of planning, the lack of strategy. If, if you knew kind of the way that they're wired at Liverpool, the way they're wired at Manchester City, the way they're wired at Arsenal and Spurs, there's four clubs where I think there's been a proper plan, a proper strategy, the infrastructure, the stadiums, everything about it, the training grounds, everything's fit for purpose. And, you know, what's happened, I think, over the last couple of years is after that second place finish in the Premier League, bizarrely, everyone's further away than they've ever been from Manchester United. And I think, you know, it's going to be a real scrabble to get into the top four. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think Casemiro is, is, is a good signing. And coming back to your point on Harry Maguire, we, we might see Harry Maguire stay at Manchester United simply because Casemiro is there to make him look better. Mm, um, absolutely. You know, because I can see that being an argument because th- there's no doubting that, he, you know, for a couple of seasons, Casemiro could be a real power and a real force and exactly what this Manchester United team needs. No, but I hundred percent agree because as well, everyone focused on Frankie De Jong. But if you asked any United fan before Ten Hag got the job, we would have said we wanted a bit of steel, a bit of bite, a defensive midfielder. That's exactly what we ended up getting. Although we've missed out on our primary target. Yeah, and 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 a leader and someone to show some passion and someone to get players around them if they're not performing to the same sort of thing. I think his biggest problem is going to be much like Maguire, much like Cristiano Ronaldo, is realizing when you get to Manchester United, yeah, you know all the names of the players. But for whatever reason, none of them are performing to their true potential at the moment. And again, that's the key question that Jose Mourinho faced, that Louis van Gaal faced, that Oli faced. You know, how do you get these incredible players? Because some of them are incredible. How do you get them to perform? Or, or, or do you just allow them to leave having been a failure? You know, look at Paul Pogba being allowed to leave. I think there was a world-class player there. But you saw 45 minutes in the second half at Manchester City that kind of allowed you to believe there was a world-class player. Otherwise, it was little flicks, little chips, and little moments, uh, and, and a really frustrated guy, but who's walked out of Old Trafford, a very, very wealthy man. Yeah, absolutely. This leads us on to, to the next question when it comes to the way Manchester United's running, because I believe Eric Ten Hag will always have a battle on his hands, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch at Manchester United. What do you think he needs to do to be a success? Because we've seen so many managers come and go. Um, some managers, people might say, should never have got the job but other managers too that have been very successful in the game and well-respected. Yeah, I, 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 it's a difficult one. And I, I, I might, might throw this back to you, Dale, as, as, a, as a Manchester United yeah. fan. I, what I would love to, to think is that someone would be brave enough to take it all back, back to the bone and say, this stinks, this is rotten, move all this out. Now, they won't do that because of economics, but I think most Manchester United fans, if they were said, look, we're going to have 10 years where it's going to be really hard, but what we're going to do is really concentrate on bringing young players to the club, growing young players at the club, so that everyone that wears that shirt understands what it's about, 
I don't want to use the word DNA or even letters DNA, but that makes people almost want to throttle people like me because it's been overused. But understand what it is to be in the fabric of Manchester United because I think so few of those players, you'd say, even on the basis of, of, of Monday night, Malassia looks like the only person who embodies what Manchester United's about, who kind of believes the power of the shirts. I think we've seen it in other plays throughout the season. So, you know, Rashford understands it, McTominay understands it, but I think they have bigger issues in their head at the moment than, than understanding what Manchester United is about. Their priorities lie elsewhere in finding their own form. So I, I think, you know, as I say, to flip it back to you, I think you'd be prepared to take some short-term pain, probably worse than we've already seen, to know that you're on the right route and, and you know it's going to go in the right way. Because I think otherwise, all we're going to see is people, 30, 31-year-olds, come with big names like Varane, like Casemiro. And yes, they might be solutions for a time being, but you're not seeing any longevity in those plans. You're not seeing any strategy and structure. You know, Frankie de Jong, yeah, it's a great name, but I'm not sure he would have even saved Manchester United, bearing in mind the players they've still got here at the moment. With, with that, you've spoken to or worked with a number of Manchester United managers down the years. Who, for you, was most interesting. Uh, I want you to exclude Sir Alex Ferguson now. I want to talk. Oh, now you've post. made it. Now you've made it harder. Now you've made I, it really. I, yeah, hard. I want to talk post Alex Ferguson there because that would have been way too easy for you. I, I think all of them actually had their own kind of sort of little bits that you kind of liked. Um, mm. Most interesting, I think, would have to be Jose Mourinho simply because you know there is what was brought into Old Trafford to be the antidote to Pep Guardiola. That's what Manchester United thought. It was kind of you know Batman v Superman. I'm not saying which was which, but I think we know what happened because, you know, where Man City are now. So you'd have to say Pep was Superman and maybe that uh, Jose was Batman. But to be serious about it, you know, that they brought him in to be the antidote to, to what Pep was doing. And I think, you know, had he been given maybe a little bit more time and a little bit more backing, then I think he, he would have been perhaps a better solution. However, I'll counter that by saying that I don't think he ever tried to understand Manchester United. I don't think he un understood Manchester as a place. I didn't think he even tried to get to grips with that. You know, he couldn't understand the significance of a Manchester derby or he said he couldn't, you know, and, and, and I think all those things, you know, you said don't mention Sir Alex Ferguson. If you ask Sir Alex Ferguson if he's bigger than Manchester United, he'd say no, no one's bigger than Manchester United. And there's an argument to say that because of what he achieved, perhaps he, he is bigger than Manchester United simply because everyone wants to talk to him about it, you know, and about him and his achievements. Yeah. If you look at Jose Mourinho, and I think if you ask him on his first day, is he bigger than Manchester United? He would have said, of course. <laughs> You know, and I, and I think therein lies the issue, I think, really. You know, because you know and I know, no one's bigger than Manchester United. Yeah. You know, this is a machine. This is a monster in all the best ways. And all those people are, are living parts of it. No one is big enough. And I think, so Jose was interesting and he was demanding um, and he was box office in a way that Sir Alex was. You know, you wanted to see his press conferences um, because you knew that the room came to, to a standstill and everyone hung on his words. I think what, what you saw before he left was a, a kind of guy that isolated himself um, who wasn't enjoying being Manchester United manager or being part of the club. So it was time for him to go. Um, Louis was fun. Louis was unpredictable. Um, I remember seeing Louis in the in the tunnel before a game against Stoke. Um, and I think it was during that bleak period just before Christmas where I think he lost five out of six or something like that. You, you know, People will know what, listening to this better than I do. But it was when there were serious questions being asked about whether he was going to be Manchester United manager for much longer. And they lined up to the tunnel and I said, look, good luck against Stoke. You know, you, And he looked at me and said, yes, we all need it. And I thought, here's the Manchester United manager before the game in front of his players saying, we're going to need luck against Stoke City. You know, um, So he was unpredictable and he was fun. There's quite a few journalists that I've spoken to that have their own funny story 
with Louis van Hal. Um, and he seemed to be a real character. When you're working, and that's why I asked this question, you, you surely develop relationships from working so closely. And you can see that in the press conference sometimes when managers are speaking, if they if they kind of get are short with certain journalists and whatever. What I wanted to ask you was listening to press conferences this summer with Eric Ten Hag. I think it's been very clear from the beginning that he's not going to give away too much away. He's obviously been told to be very careful with the English media. How do how does someone in your position crack him down? Because I'm sure that's what they're all talking about. How can we get him into a situation where he's going to answer what we want? I, th- I think it's a really difficult one and a, and a challenge, probably more so now than it's ever been, simply because your access to these to these people, to either the players or the manager. But you're asking about the managers, so let's let's look at that. I, I think what we had uh, at Sky was an advantage in the sense that you'd get one to one time with with a manager. You know, maybe four or five times a season, maybe even more than that. You get, you know, ten or fifteen minutes sat down with just you and a cameraman or a couple of cameramen and the manager and, and, and the press officer. And that way, everyone else was out of the room. No one's posturing. You know, you're not asking questions that that want to impress your peers. Uh, they're not answering in a way that that puts you either down or elevates you. It's it's just purely a conversation. So I think, in many ways, the relationship with Sky perhaps is easier for most people to strike than it is for other journalists simply because you don't get those moments in the, in the same way. If you're a newspaper journalist or a radio journalist, then you don't get very much one-to-one time with Eric Ten Hag in the way that TV works because, you know, a 15-minute interview, you probably need five minutes setting up with someone sat there and you can talk and chat. And, and, and it's a, a more prolonged exercise. And I think what would have been valuable for a lot of the journalists this summer was access to him on tour. Tours become really, really important. You know, so I think the building blocks for the relationships that the, 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 the media have got so far would have been built in the Far East in Australia. You know, you, you get to see someone relax a little bit more. Uh, they're not in the kind of goldfish bowl of Old Trafford or Carrington. So I, I think it's a grower. But but I think equally, you know, you'd probably agree with me at the moment. I couldn't tell you with any confidence how long Eric Ten Hag will be Manchester United manager for. I couldn't tell you that the next pre-season tour that he'll still be in charge. I, I think he will be. But, you know, what he, we need to see now is that that's a process whereby the Liverpool result is something that can be built upon and it isn't just a, a flash in the pan that was significant because there were protests everywhere on the pitch and off the pitch. You know, that's the really interesting thing. It's interesting because those blocks also existed at United this summer. You look at MUTV, um, someone that if anyone's listening listen or watches MUTV, be all familiar with Stuart Gardner's face and his voice. And he didn't get to go on tour this, this summer. With a new manager, that's a block because... It's an opportunity for him being part of the official channel to build that dialogue and build that relationship with the new manager. And those summer months are a great opportunity to do that. It's very difficult to do it when the competitive season begins and there's all fixtures coming and Ten Hag doesn't really want to speak to journalists, you know. Yeah, um, yeah you add, and you add the Brentford and the Brighton games to it. Yes. You know, and suddenly, and suddenly, if you think you've achieved something over the summer and he's your mate and it's going to all work well, well, suddenly he's 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 in kind of rabbit in the headlights mode, and he's not giving anyone to, anything to anyone. You know, so that's when it becomes hard. And and clearly, people also forget that he's not answering in his native tongue. Yes, you know, and that sounds like a really thing, stupid thing, maybe for me to say. He speaks English as well as we speak English. I know that, but I knew that with Ollie as well. Ollie was the same. You know, he's still kind of processing thoughts. And and, and to give you a, you know kind of case in point, um, and I don't want to talk about Manchester City in prolonged things. Mm-hmm. If you look at Manchester City in their press conferences with Pep Guardiola. He's been in a little room before he comes out to his press conference where he's been talking Catalan with his people that, that are there. 
you know, Maynell, who, who, who kind of is his personal assistant, and he's been talking Catalan. Suddenly, he's in a bare pit of a press conference where he's speaking in a, in a different language. Yes. And he takes time to transition from speaking Catalan or Spanish into speaking English. Important too with mainstream media when they're quoting these journalists. I know it's Ten Hag knows English, but I've seen, I've noticed things where they're taken out of context, and you, I've heard it a little bit differently. And it, it it's unfair. I think people take advantage of that at times. But it was definitely the case with Ali too. But even um, it was quite funny the other night on Sky where Eric Ten Hag dropped an f bomb right live on air, and you could see by him he didn't know what he had done and he apologized straight away. But it's just obviously the difficulty of, of speaking and not your your usual language um, yeah and I, and I think people need to remember that as well it, you know it's easily forgotten certainly i i would forget it quite easily to journalists because all you're trying to do is, is ask a question that gets the answer that you think you're going to get absolutely you know, that, that, that's the prime motivation and a lot of those times you're hoping you're asking the right questions not only for the people that are employing you but also for fans like yourselves who, who don't get their opportunity and that's not me trying to win favor with people you know journalists and reporters should be asking the questions that the 75,000 at Old Trafford would love to ask. I'm not saying this should happen all the time because there are different ways and means and different issues. But largely, you know, we're in a privileged position, but we should be reflecting what, what people are thinking. Albeit, uh, you know, the caveat to that is maintaining a relationship because I still think, you know, some people will tell you that getting banned by Manchester United is a great medal to have. Well, you get banned by Manchester United, you're not in the room asking questions of players or, or, or managers. So really, your use... It, you know, it's great. Yeah, I got banned. It was fantastic. I got, you know, the hairdryer from Sir Alex Ferguson. But have you been in... banned before? Have you have you been banned? Uh, yeah, yeah, but by Sir Alex a couple of times. Any yeah. any, any stories you can tell us? Did you, did you step out of line? Um, I, I probably asked questions that 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 were provocative and and, and maybe misunderstood. You know, I, I always like to think there are ways and means of asking a difficult question where you retain your respect for somebody and they can hopefully re- retain their respect for you. For people listening, Alex Ferguson banned Daniel Taylor for writing a book about him, which I think I believe was complimentary. Um, <laughs> so it's Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes him. that's the difficult thing. You don't know what the rules are because the rules seem to change. Yeah. You know, but, but I've certainly had the hairdryer more than a couple of times and... Um, you know, it, you can laugh about it now, but when it happens to you, blimey, it's just, um, it is properly fearsome and and, and and it makes you want to cry. I never had the pleasure of sitting at a press conference, Alex Ferguson, but I did sit in the press conference at Roy Keane when he was assistant manager for Republic of Ireland. And I never in my life had stage fright where I couldn't ask a question, but I was, I was a few seconds late because I had to run to the toilet. And Roy Keane actually waited for me to go into the room. It was really nice. And I was thinking... I'm not asking him a question. I'm not asking him a question. He's going to lambast me the second I ask him a question. But uh, but no, it, it, it it's great. Your your work down the years, James, was really really terrific. You became a voice for me, and I wanted to ask you this question about modern media and the Sky Sports yeah. News of old. Sky Sports News of old. When I was growing up and listening to you on TV, not to make you feel old, um, <laughs> done that very well. <laughs> literally, all the football news that I got was coming from Sky Sports News. All the transfer news, everything I believed was coming there. It was the best source of news. Now we're seeing a transition with social media. We're also seeing kind of new kind of journalists that basically just focus on the transfer news. It's kind of like seasonal work um, in a media sense, which doesn't make sense to a lot of football journalists. But what do you make of all that and how someone can build this profile quite easily and spread information without really sourcing it and potentially fooling people 
yeah, I, I think it's it's a really interesting point you make. Um, and, and I think the nub of it is, you know, the guys that seem to be successful are the guys who, who come up with stuff that, that the majority of time is right. And you, you can't fault that. I, I think equally that some of them are very good at signposting you to when they've been right and less good at signposting to you to, to when they've been wrong. You know, and, and no one's 100% right. I, I think what's interesting is that clubs, I think, will deal now with um, journalists who aren't part of organisations simply because they know those journalists have a big sway. I think, you know, five or 10 years ago, I think they'd look at the organisations and think, right, I work with that organisation. I speak to Sky, I speak to the BBC, or I speak to the national newspapers or the Manchester Evening News from a kind of Manchester point of view. I, th I think that's changed a little bit. I think, you know, that those press officers and heads of communication will, I think, take calls from the likes of the journalists that you're, you're talking about there or would be more readily to do that, you know. Does that raise tension then? with people at the mainstream media at the big outlets that are, you know, forking out massive money on their employees to get the biggest stories, to, to get the scoops, to get the interviews. And then they, they open their Twitter and see an independent fan site like Strati News has just spoken to Marcus Rashford. I, I think, I think it's a really, it's a really good question. First and foremost, he says, trying to find time to find the right answer. But, uh, but, but I think what it is is symptomatic of the way the media works. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say to me now, uh, young journalists, you know, what's the future for kind of journalism? Um, I, and, Dale, you've, you've almost answered the question in, 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 in the way you've said that there. You know, if you can tell a story and get people to talk to you, then you're an effective journalist and you'll get an audience. It doesn't matter if you have Sky Sports News on your back, the BBC on your back or any radio station or newspaper. If you've got credible sources and credible information, then people will listen to you and people will go a long way with you. And I think that's why journalism is, is changing. I think what's interesting about kind of Sky is that I think they've kind of lit this obsession with, with, with transfers. We saw the kind of transfer window and some of the iconic scenes, you know, back to 2008 and Berbatov. I remember the cameraman getting the shot of him walking across Old Trafford and, and going to sign for Manchester United rather than Manchester City while over the road, of course, the shake had just rolled into the Etihad. You know, those were huge ingredients. And I think in many ways started the kind of obsession that we're seeing, the seasonal obsession with, with transfers. So I think, you know, in many ways, perhaps, you know, Sky are responsible, not, not for undoing their own good work, but I think for making this, this whole kind of transfer thing so interesting. Um, and, 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 you know, whether you like it or not, people have to speak to other people other than Sky or the newspapers. You know, it's about relationships. That's the other thing about it. You know, you don't have to be part of a network. As I say, if people are going to talk to you and you've got great information, especially if it's information about Manchester United signings, then really, you know, you can be a journalist no matter what you are. Absolutely. And on that, I hope, I hope before... that doesn't sound like a fudge answer either. No, no, it doesn't. It, it leads me on to my next question, because before I let you go, I wanted to ask for a lot of young people listening to this. And I know there's a good few people that are contribute to Straight News or other outlets that listen and they're young journalists. What advice would you have for someone trying to break into the industry right now? Yeah, it's, it's a really hard one because it's such a competitive industry, you know, but, but I think equally that the roots into it are different to what they have, have ever been. You know, um, I, I think the solid advice, if people want to do education, is get a solid degree and then specialise in something post-grad. That's if you want to take the academic route. And I, and I know a lot of the time people aren't perhaps as patient as they were. Um, and, and equally, I think things have changed in a way that, if you've got a story to tell, if you've got followers listening to you, if you're legit and you're telling the truth, then you can kind of bypass that. I think in terms of self-preservation and bettering yourself, I would always say tick the academic box first. 
but but you know there are only so many jobs at Sky. There are only so many jobs in radio or in the newspapers. What we know now is that we're talking over the internet right now, and that that is boundless. You know, so yeah, you, you can't stop it. You can't no, stop so it. No, so in many ways, the, the opportunities have, ne- have never been greater, and that isn't me kind of flying a flag for journalism, saying that everything's all right, because I think most of the people that you're talking about would love to work for one of the big organisations, but I don't think it has to be the be all and end all. If you can tell a story, and if you can get people to listen, then you can get your own you know, backing, your own build-up, uh, your own support and following. And I, and I, and I think that's where things are going. Uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see the way it goes in the next 10 years because we've seen such a huge change in the last decade. As I say, you know, 2008 and Berbatov and, and Sheikh Mansour just seems like an, a, a different world now. Well, even just quickly on that, when I, when I started the blog back in 2010, there was there was a few football podcasts around. There was a few guys who sat around tables and did their podcasts, but the, there was it wasn't as big as it is now. And the last two years now, you've all these media companies pumping money into podcasts. So it's changing constantly. I personally love the podcast. It's extra content. It's extra content from my favorite pundits and so on. I I, I love it. Um, and the more the merrier. But it is, as you mentioned, it, it it's kind of a saturated business as well at the moment. It, Everyone it really wants is. to do it, yeah. You know, and uh, funny enough, my, my, my sons are performing at the Edinburgh Festival at the moment, you know, so I was up seeing them in Edinburgh last week. And that's like social media come to life with with flyers, people, everyone saying, like me, like me, listen to me, come and see. To... And it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's almost like that with the podcast and, and with, with social media and with tweets and, and, and Instagram. You know, it's just at this deluge, especially this time of the year. It, it, it sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'll make my money from that, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> James, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the Stratocast. I really enjoyed speaking to you. It was, you know, I'm sure other people listening will enjoy your input on all things Manchester United as they have done for many years. Dale, can I just say that uh, fantastic work last week with, with the economic story. Uh, Thank you. Stuff coming out of America, because that, that is exactly backing up what my point as well there. You know, you, you had the relationships, you had the connections, you had the information and you brought it out first ahead of mm-hmm. other people. Uh, and, you know, and, and that does you great credit. And I'm sure that, you know, appreciate listeners that. And, you. and the people that that, 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 that that want to listen to you and, and, and work with you uh, really appreciate that. And, and, and as I say, I think it, under, it under, underlines what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you have the relationships, you have the trust, you have people talking to you, then you can be a journalist no matter what. Absolutely. James, again, really appreciate Actually, before you go, before I send you off, <laughs> where are Manchester United going to finish this season? Oh, that's a really, really good question. I, I would love to say top four, uh, okay. but on the evidence so far, I, I think there are more than four teams that are better than Manchester United. The, the unknown here is, is what happens with, I think, Maguire and Ronaldo, where, where we started, and also what kind of influence Casemiro has. You know, if he's the Casemiro that played for Real Madrid and stays fit, and if Iran perhaps stays fit behind him, then it could be something special. But, you know, your problem, as you said before, where are you going to replace the 24 goals if you don't play Ronaldo? Because you can't see, I don't think, this Manchester United goal, uh, team scoring loads of goals. Unless, again, you can unlock Bruno to score the sort of goals that he was scoring two seasons ago as well. If you've got that player and there's an argument that he's a better player, perhaps without, without Ronaldo, the stats will tell you that he is, then, then maybe that's the solution. But I think it would be a really brave manager that allows Cristiano Ronaldo to go if there isn't a kind of big name re- replacement waiting in the wings. And although, you know, the curse of Manchester United is being we'll spend more money than everybody else and things won't get better, even even the spending can't go on forever. We know that. No, absolutely not. James, 
thanks again so much and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for asking me, Dale. It's been brilliant. Cheers. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.